Hey everyone, welcome back to Prismatic Perspectives. Today we are celebrating Scorpio energy by talking to two lovely Scorpios. Um, The first is Leah, and we talk a little bit about plant medicine and the nature of death and rebirth and the notion of the hero's journey and what that means and what it makes of us. And after that, we chat with Kenny, who is also a Scorpio, and we talk a little bit about some comic books that they have found that have really felt interesting to them, um, you know, that touch on themes of immortality and mortality, and kind of the carnal, messy truth of our bodies um, and how they can show up in media. And we also talk about Kenny's time in Peru, getting to meet some of their family members there and learning about the culture and some of the differences with the land and how it affects the body. And then we talk a little bit about community and what community actually means and what it's for and what it does and how to build it. Um, And after that, I think we're going to hear a song from from a Scorpio that I love a lot named Samuel Nobles um, to wrap things up. So yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and let's get into it. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Prismatic Perspectives. Um, Hi, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Evelyn. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. Totally, totally. Um, So I usually introduce people with titles, but I figured this time around maybe we can just kind of get into things and see see what comes up and just kind of let that be let that be what it is. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Awesome. So you are a Scorpio sun, and you said you're a Taurus moon and a, let's see if I can remember this, a Sagittarius rising. Is that true? I am. Yes. I'm a Scorpio sun, and um, I know because you're a Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my ascendant is in Sagittarius as well. So Awesome. So is astrology something that you'd say you believe in or are curious about? I would say I have somewhat of a deep curiosity about astrology, um, and I can't claim to be an astrologer, or I don't necessarily hold that, um, because I feel like there's so much more to learn, but I've been exploring what's up. Um, I really love what you do here, because I think just connecting the person or the person's experience to the idea of that horoscope sign is just such a fascinating way to look at things. And I think it really helps to make it more about the individual than about a blanket statement around mm-hmm. like, this is this group as a whole. So I appreciate how you do that. Right. Totally. Thank you so much. Um, and we all know what it feels like to be put in a box. It doesn't feel very good. Um, so instead, if we can kind of like inform the lives that we walk, I think that's really like a lot more empowering. Mm. Um, okay, so born as a Scorpio sun in Western astrology means you had a birthday recently. I did. Um, my, I actually just had a birthday a couple of days ago. Um, it was my 33rd birthday. Mm, so. That's like super lucky. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I I don't know much about what the significance of 3-3 or 3-3-3 is. It just feels lucky. <laughs> it feels really lucky. And this particular year also happened to feel really lucky. It felt like I had some angels on my side. So, yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Um, and how did you spend your birthday? What did you do? Well, um, I on my birthday eve, I saw some music. Um, I really love the Grateful Dead, so I saw my favorite Grateful Dead band, which oh. was really special to me. Nice. Um, Barely Dead, Boston band. They're really great. Um, you saw them play in Boston? I saw them play in Portsmouth, actually. They were, they're were they touring right now, so they're, oh, cool. yeah, they're kind of all over the place right now, but they played at a really cool place in Portsmouth called 3S Art Space. Um, I got to dance all night. It was really beautiful. Um I actually, um, I had an experience the day before sitting with Combo, um, which is frog medicine um, from South America, which was really cleansing, and um, I was really happy to sit in a really clean, just really present space for my birthday, and I felt like, um, yeah, I did a lot of dancing, and then um, on my actual birthday, I felt like I really wanted a lot of space and time for myself um, to just process and reflect over the past year um, and really the past 33 years as well. Totally. Um, yeah, it felt it felt momentous. I don't know what it was about this birthday. Um, and, you know, sometimes in these winter months or going into winter months, especially like in New England, I can get a little, little down and a little feeling a little gloomy. Um, so it's something I'm always aware of as I approach my birthday. But this year I felt something different and it was a lot of a lot of light energy. Um, and I also had a, will- a willingness and desire to spend a lot of time alone on my birthday. Um, and I spent some time doing um, a really cool reading for myself with a deck that I love. So spending time alone on your birthday, is that like new for you? Is that unusual? That's new for me. I've, I've really never done that. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'm not a huge celebrator necessarily, but I'll often find that the people in my life want to celebrate my birthday uh-huh. a little bit more than I do. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what that's about, and I love that I love that my people want to want to lift me up in that way. But I, I've actually, yeah, I think it's been it's been a number of years since I've spent a birthday alone, mm. and it was really it was really fulfilling. Totally, totally. I actually try to spend my birthday alone like every year now, or at least like some part of the day. You know, because I feel like during our lives, like, like I'm the only person that's going to be with me the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, so I got to take some time to have quality time with myself. And, you know, what better time to do it than a birthday, you know, um, in Judaism, they say you have the most luck on your birthday. It's something called kismet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just luck. It's also kind of like ability to manifest. Mm-hmm. And that's like where some of the wish making comes from. Um Oh, I love that. Yeah. And just, like, the closeness between, like, you and your higher self, I think, is, like, amplified Mm. on the birthday. Totally. Yeah. Okay, so you spent some time on your own. Um, What was that like? What did you do? It was awesome. Um, I sat in front of my altar. Um, I needed a little space to just, to really just feel embodied in myself and I really wanted to give a lot of gratitude for the past 33 years. Um, Part of that being because there have been many ups and downs and many cycles throughout that time period. And um, yeah, so I ended up, I sat with a deck that I love. It's um, this archetype deck 
um, by Kim Kranz, and I love this deck. It's based off Jungian archetypes. Um, and I sat and I did a spread that was actually in, there's a guidebook that goes along with it, and um, the spread was based on uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, um, mm. which is really an interesting concept that I'm still learning about, but I really relate to. And it's um, it's basically the the cycle of a spiritual quest and what that looks like. And, um, you know, the first item would be like what calls you to adventure. And then um, the threshold would be like what holds you back. And along that journey, you may reach numbers of thresholds and you may sometimes you cycle back um, to the call and the threshold and um, the call is really what um, what draws you to adventure or what draws you to your spiritual quest in the first place mm -hmm. um, so there was a five card spread it worked through um, these five stages of Joseph Campbell's hero's, hero's journey um, so it goes through the call the threshold or the obstacle to your leaving um, and then the ordeal, which is the deeply profound challenge or dilemma that you face. Um, but it's imperative that you face because mm -hmm. that's where the growth comes. Um, and then... What's that one called again? That would be the ordeal. The ordeal. So it's sort of a shadow self. Um, and then the next step would be the boon. And that is, um, the reward, wisdom, skill, or blessing you'll attain, um, which is interesting. And mm -hmm. um, and then the fifth card or the fifth step of this adventure is the return. So the returning home. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think, you know, traditionally, I think people on a spiritual quest tend to cycle through these through this process yeah. again and again and again. Um, so it's not linear. Um, it's, you know, it's very um, cyclical. And it's, um, it's it's integrative it's it doesn't necessarily always happen in that in those steps i think there's you know there's trials and tribulations throughout the way and i think what i've gathered from this whole concept is that um you know obstacles are the stepping stones <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, we need those in order to push ourselves into growth so as a scorpio this is something that is very dear to my heart um and i do find that that the hero's journey has really been an interesting and very aligned way with, uh, to describe my experience through life. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating to think about this stuff. Like, I'm wondering, like, at what part in the journey does one become a hero? Mm. Or is it more about kind of, like, um, holding a certain attitude throughout the process that makes one a hero? And is it like you're a hero to yourself? I was talking to my friend about this the other day and I just like so I'm glad that it's coming up now too yeah that's so interesting and it's a good point I think um I don't know I wonder if the hero's there all along and really <laughs> just needs some awakening or needs some stoking or some you know I mean I think the hero it kind of goes back to what I was just saying the hero really needs to overcome something in order to fully actualize so you know I feel like it's been one of the ways that you know I've integrated challenges throughout my life is by by knowing that they're really the the alchemy that it takes to grow so yeah absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. that's so profound right like 
it's almost like the obstacle or the the ordeal is like can bring out the hero in us mm. right that's been there all along um definitely all of it really so anyways mm. um i just want to take a second to pause because that's like a lot to think about yeah off the record i could go into that a little bit more but it's if you into what into what part? into what i drew but i also don't we don't need to get into, i would like, love to hear about reading. it if you okay, want to cool yeah yeah this I is your just, pod yeah you cool. know <laughs> okay i want to hear about yeah. it yeah so i can maybe just launch and explain it quickly okay no take your time yeah so yeah so i I gave myself this reading, which I actually hadn't, um, I hadn't tried before in this particular format or this particular spread. Um, but when I saw it, it felt like the right thing to do. And, um, the card that I drew for the call was Thanatos, which is death. Um, the Greek, the Greek god of death. Mm. I believe. Um, so that would insinuate that my call to spiritual growth was signified by some sort of death um yeah and some sort of you know some sort of deep need for transformation um and i think that's very scorpio i think Mm -hmm. as soon i actually gasped out loud when i flipped my entire spread which is you know sometimes it's like wow like you know how did they know but this time it it was really profound um so my call was death um my threshold wait can we go back to the call for a second um So it sounds like that really resonated with you when you got it. I'm wondering, does it feel like there was, was there something you could point to in your life that felt like that moment of the death being the call into your spiritual journey? Or was it kind of like a more general transition Mm. that you went through? That is a great question. Um, I would say that it's, the death was probably a death of self, um, Mm -hmm. a death of you know, really old paradigms, um, of old models of being that just didn't resonate anymore. And, um, yeah, it felt like I needed at some point, I would say, yeah, somewhere in my mid twenties, I felt like I wasn't really aligned with the person that, um, I was on the outside and there was something more to really explore there. So that was probably the, the death of a former self was okay. the, yeah, awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, so uh, moving on to the threshold. Um, a threshold is considered like an obstacle um, to your quest. And my threshold was the bardo, um, which is a Tibetan or Buddhist concept of um, an in-between space or a transience. Um, so I interpreted that as being just sort of caught in between and, and maybe you know, maybe lacking some decisiveness, um, lacking some direction. And, um, and that's maybe been what's, you know, where I felt stuck in times in my life. Um, and sure. then that's really interesting because, a, a threshold, when I hear that, I think of like a doorway, mm. right. But not necessarily the part of the doorway that involves the door, but it's just like the space that you like would step through. Mm. So to have it come out as this like in between space, the back and forth, it's like to actually make the choice to walk either on one side or the other, or to remain in the threshold. Right. Uh, totally. Okay. And it's it's also a space where the veil is really thin. So mm-hmm. I feel like 
on one hand, that can be like a tremendous gift. It can be a, a gift to have, you know, just this very sensitive energy. Um, on the other hand, it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, yeah. So it's one of those things that, you know, you have to, you know, bring that into balance or, or use that gift in a way um, so that it doesn't become an obstacle itself, you know? Right. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we could talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, I would totally. love to, to hear more about this reading. Yeah. So um, moving on, I um, my next card was the ordeal. I picked the maiden card, which is... Mm. Um, yeah, it's one of the earlier cards in the deck. Um, it sort of goes along with the um, the maiden, mother, crone archetype, which is just very female, um, female-related energy, and um, and also growth-oriented. I think so. It's sort of again a cyclical thing of like direction and like you know movement and growth from you know an earlier stage of progression and into a deeper becoming of self. Um, yeah, so for anybody who hasn't heard this this idea before, it's basically like the three main stages of a woman's life, going from a maiden who's kind of like young and seeking partnership and very like springtime, and then mm -hmm. the the mother is kind of, I guess, self-explanatory, but even if you don't have physical children, it can be like kind of what are you nurturing, what are you bringing into being in this world, and then the mm -hmm. crone is like at the end of your life with all this wisdom to share. Um, Mm. which yeah if you think about reincarnation like we're kind of born the crone already mm. but then also like and uh, like you're born a crone into like the body of like a baby yeah. <laughs> and then you become the maiden it's like very cyclical like you're saying totally yeah and I think too it just like to relate it to like this ordeal this sense of ordeal of going through this maidenhood I guess is um you know I think Maybe to me, I interpreted that as as being maybe a little stuck in youth and um, yeah, and and wanting the growth but not necessarily knowing. And that sort of goes back to the in between stage. Yeah, that was the ordeal. Mm -hmm. But the boon, as um, Kim Kranz describes it, is the reward, wisdom, skill, or blessing you'll attain on your journey. And it's mystical, and it cannot be found in creature comforts. Mm. Um, so my boon that I pulled was healer. Um, Beautiful. Which is awesome, because I think that, you know, in my um, professional life, I am a counselor. Um, I work um, with people who have substance use disorder, and I'm in social work school right now. So, um, yeah, I'm studying to be a social worker and I have, um, many ideas about where that might lead me in the future, but in any event, um, I relate with this healer archetype and it felt really special to, to have some sort of cosmic validation that like, this yeah. is, this is a skill and this is something that you hold. And, um, we were talking about titles and using titles or not earlier and I think for me as I grow and you know step into this position it's been you know it's been both a challenge and a really powerful experience to claim that as something that I am so right. I am hi I'm Leah and I'm a healer <laughs> it's yeah it feels a little funny but it's it it's true. It sounds right to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, 
yeah, that would be the boon. And then um, my last card, which represents the return, um, which means what, what you can expect to encounter on your return home. The return um, home. Yeah, because you're always returning, right? We're cycling through this process. And probably many times, if you are one on a spiritual quest, you know. Um, so the return, I, I drew a card that was called the animal. And um, that really spoke to wildness and the wild one mm. um or the she-wolf um just an animal archetype inside us all that sort of craves wildness and craves freedom and craves authenticity and um yeah I'm still kind of working out how to integrate that into that part of my reading into right. my experience but... coming home as the wolf yeah totally <laughs> the healing wolf totally it's fascinating <laughs> yeah so that was a really powerful reading that I um, I tried for my birthday, and it felt really significant. Yeah. Yeah, it feels significant hearing about it. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, so I'm thinking a little bit about how sometimes the trials and tribulations that we go through in our lives become the ways that we are able to assist other people. Mm. And I'm wondering if in your work you ever encounter people in the bardo space. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do encounter people in the Bardo space, and I have a lot to say about this, actually. Um, yeah, I would say that actually working with people on some level of, you know, the substance abuse disorder spectrum is pretty challenging in that in-between, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I think when, when working with any humans you know, or working with anyone's, you know, story or their trauma or their healing, you can encounter levels of ambivalence and levels of not being sure and levels of stagnation and stuckness. And, and I do encounter that a lot. Um, I've actually, I'm actually not certain that this is the population I want to work with. Um, I, it was something I was really drawn to at the beginning of my journey into human services and it's something I'm moving a little bit away from and I am really hopeful um, in the future to work with people that are like really ready for their their spiritual journey and okay. really ready for their healing mm -hmm. um so people who are like a full body yes okay <laughs> that, but yeah so pivoting you know from that line of work to working with people who are like a full body yes yeah um yeah, I mean, I see, like, a light in your face when you talk about that. So mm. I think that's a really nice idea. Yeah. Um, There's just a difference um, to to be engaging when people are really ready for it um, than to, you know, and I think that's a hard part of counseling is part of, you know, is, is being there and meeting people where they're at. There's always going to be a level of that, I think, as well. Like, and any kind of, like, healer or helper role you know, meeting people where they're at, you know, like when you were talking about, uh, the hero, the hero's journey yeah, and, you know, people who are on a spiritual path are going to tend to kind of cycle through this journey, like over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about what it actually means to be on a spiritual path. Um, and I realized that what I think it is in this instance is just like when you receive the call, yeah, the call into the hero's journey, like, do you take it? Mm. And maybe that's actually like what makes someone a hero is just saying yes to the call. Mm -hmm. And maybe everything else that happens after that is kind of like you kind of falling into yourself in a certain way. 
Mm. Um, like there's no like you know you don't have to like dress a certain way or kind of like meet a certain person to be on a spiritual path I think it's really just about answering yeah no that's a great point and to kind of go back to what you were saying about you know and what I had said about working with people with ambivalence it's interesting and I feel like it brings up some level of like opposing forces within myself and some level of hypocrisy and I don't know if that's inherently Scorpio or if that's just inherently me and my experience but I at the same time that I I have this inclination to work with people that are a full body yes I'm also really drawn to other populations um in particular something I've been wanting to explore is death and dying Mm -hmm. and that end of life stage process which is interesting and again I'm maybe bringing up my own little bit of hypocrisy here because you know a lot of people that are in that position aren't a full body yes because they're going through something that is in our culture is very challenging to face you know so it's this interesting dynamic of like push and pull and like what am I attracted to plus what am I repelled from plus like where can I be the most useful you know in my in my work and so I I'm exploring that. Right. Because I don't think, I don't know if anybody is ever a full-bodied yes to death. I mean, Mm. maybe if you're tired and you're, like, ready, you know. Yeah. I've been um, studying Ram Dass a bit. Um, He's actually a figure that's been powerful in my spiritual journey and, you know, a teacher that I was never fortunate enough to meet. Um, however, he was my teacher's teacher, so I... Oh, beautiful, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, I know, um, I know a lot of his teachings and, um, you know, his story as a, as his spiritual journey and his life journey, which ultimately led to his death, which is how, you know, how we all end up, um, was really interesting because he, um, throughout the course of, um, I believe having a few strokes that left him, you know, needing a lot of assistance. Um, he ended up really having to face this concept of aging and dying and, and, um, is a really interesting example of, you know, how, I mean, one, how many other cultures in our worlds really approach death with a much different mindset than we do in the West. And, you know, he took a lot of his teachings from India and the time he spent in India and really fully celebrating life and celebrating death as part of the cycle. Mm. And I actually really think that that's what Scorpio is about is totally, yeah, is celebrating death. And it sounds so interesting to say out loud, (laughs) Um, but I really think that there's, there's something there that, you know, can be really expansive when you look at it the right way. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of what we do in our Western culture is to like, just like somehow manage our collective anxiety about this inevitable end. Mm -hmm. And we do like, we bend over backwards. We're always, you know, trying to make this new thing that will reduce our age or, you know, like, you know, reduce our, um, our mortality, our mortality. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I love Ramdas has a little quote and he, it's along the lines of dying is like taking off a very tight shoe. Oh, so I've been very curious about death and 
it's something that I've I've um, been wanting to explore more as a potential for um, you know how I might help people and I think there's a lot of healing work to be done around death and, yeah and death is a concept too you know absolutely that's a really interesting point you know being a death doula I think can mean like working with people as they're preparing to cross over and then also like reworking like what does death mean to the living because mm. like i think our lives are a lot of times like informed by our attitudes about death right like people always say like live like you're dying and i've never really liked that because i'm like well i want to build things and if i think i'm gonna die tomorrow like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a long vision for anything totally but i also you know again the ambivalence like i see where they're coming from as well like mm. to be present enjoy enjoy the moment what do you think happens after people die do you believe in an afterlife i don't really know what i believe i i don't i have i have some personal theories of somewhat of a reincarnation system i think that you know our energy's got to go back somewhere you know i don't i don't know (laughs) um I mean, I think it's, like, really, really cool to say that you don't know. Yeah. Right? Because, like, who really does? Yeah. Yeah, like, like, people can, like, pretend that to be, or people can feel so sure and things like this, you know, and I guess that's faith, but to leave it open to the mystery is really brave. Mm. And I feel like that's kind of, like, a Scorpio thing, too, the bravery and the relationship to fear. Okay, so getting back to this reading that you did, if yeah. we may, <laughs> meander back. Totally. I'm also really interested in this idea of the return home. Mm. And to to go on a physical journey where you leave your little village and you go like out across the land and then you come back home, it's very easy to know what it means to return home. But when we're living our lives and we're going through these metaphorical and symbolic like death and rebirth and journeying, like what does the coming back home actually mean to you? Mm. That's a great question. I feel like for me, the return is indicative of a need for integration. Mm. Um, so I don't. We were just talking a little bit about fear. Um, I feel like for me, part of my spiritual journey and growth has been learning how to integrate fear as part of my experience and something that is. It just is, <laughs> and. There's, you know, there's really no way to, you can face it. And I think there are moments that it's so important to face fear, but I think that it's also knowing that you can sit with it. So yeah, I would say coming back home is really this process of integrating what you've learned on the journey and, um, and taking it, taking it back to your day to day. I think it's just interesting in this conversation of Scorpio and death I feel like I must mention ayahuasca. Mm. Um, grandmother. Grandmother ayahuasca. Um, she's been instrumental in my integration. And um, when you work with plant medicine, you hear a lot about this concept of integration. And, um, you know, I, I have friends that are integration coaches and, mm. you know, people that really work to help individuals work this into their lives so that they're not having a peak experience that is just alone by itself. They're having an experience that they can really take back with them and 
and have that become and, and manifest that into their reality. So I have found that this return is just so synchronistic with the concept of integration. And, and what have you learned on your journey? What did you learn when you were sitting with ayahuasca um, or such and such other plant medicine? You know, ayahuasca is actually called the vine of death in um, indigenous cultures. I just found that so interesting because I think that the process of sitting is really akin to the process of, of some sort of death significance, really? something, yeah, something has to die, you know? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Something has to die in order for something new to take shape. And, and I'm wondering, like, you know, we are talking about how people have like fear around death. Mm. Like, do you think those two things are related? Yeah, and I do. I think that um, that is actually, that's maybe kind of what makes a hero, or that is what makes a warrior, in other words. Mm. Um, because I think that, personally, I sit with fear every time I sit with a plant medicine, usually, um, some element of it, some level of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that fear is actually, that is the work, <laughs> that's... It can't be overstep. It can't be overlooked. It can't be, you know, as much as I want to say, oh, just breathe through it. I think there's an element of growth that happens with sitting with it and, and accepting that you're afraid. Oh, that's really interesting because when you say sitting with fear, I just imagine breathing through the fear. But mm -hmm. you're talking about something slightly different. A little bit different. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think that there is an element of self-soothing mm -hmm. that can be really, really um, fruitful and that is necessary as well. Um, and I, I would say even more, I, I spend some time, you know, in ceremony physically holding myself through, mm -hmm. you know, through my experience. But I also feel like there's a level, you're right, it's slightly different. And it's, it's being with the fear and it's being like, is, this is okay. Like I'm shaking and you know, like, but I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I, I find that it's been, incredibly self-empowering and it's helped me in a lot of other fearful situations in my life it's almost like a practice place where i can in a safe space experiment with sitting with fear mm. and that's part of integration because then when i go home and i go into a situation like let's say recording a podcast <laughs> or trying a new thing i you know i I was in Colorado last week and I went rock climbing. That's scary. Indoor, indoors in a gym. Okay. But still, it was um, it was a little scary. So, it, you know, but I feel like that is really where, that's where the growth occurs. So Right. It's interesting to think about the role of it too because we often regard fear as like a thing that keeps us safe. Mm. Right? But there's a relationship between that and like the actual presence or absence of danger in a situation. Mm -hmm. And there's a relationship from that to our perceived level of control over a situation and our self-empowerment to navigate through situations that we can't control. So I'm just putting that out there. It's not exactly a question, but maybe just a few things to kind of think about as, as we move through, unless mm -hmm. there's anything that you want to say. Yeah, actually, that, that did bring something up for me, and um, I had listened to your last episode, mm -hmm. um, so your solo soliloquy, mm -hmm. introducing 
Scorpio and Scorpio season. And I loved the imagery of the scorpion under the rock. Mm. I thought that was so, that's such a unique way to think about Scorpio is to personify it into the animal creature that, you know, the animal energy that it takes on. And it was a way that I'd, I'd never conceptualized it in that way. So I just, I found that so fascinating. But I also really related to that. And, and I was thinking about a physical scorpion creature being in the desert and just sitting in that darkness, um, as you had mentioned, and, and that darkness being a safe spot. And mm. I've, I have experienced that in my life. And I feel like that kind of goes to this, like this duality that we've gotten into a little bit, this like push and pull of like dark and light. And I feel like that's, that's really been the theme, the overarching theme of my Scorpio journey and my hero's journey and my spiritual journey has been like, how do you sit with all levels of this human experience? And, mm. you know, how do you mesh that together into a holistic way of being, you know? Yeah. And it is so interesting that like, there's this idea of being afraid of the dark and like also the dark can bring us comfort. You know, in tight spaces, you know, they can feel limiting or they can feel like home. And again, home, this idea of coming home and coming home wild and then integrating wilderness back into, you know, whatever was going on before all these things were learned, you know. Hey, everyone. So we decided to take a little bit of a break. I noticed that the sun was going down over the horizon and there were all of these beautiful pinks and oranges and golds happening outside in the sky. And it also meant that the room we were in <laughs> became very dark. Um, so we took a minute, take some adjustments and, you know, move our bodies a little, do a little stretching. Um, but yeah, you as a listener, I just want to check in for a moment. How are you doing listening to this podcast? Have you taken a moment to do any stretching that you need to do? Do you have some water that you're drinking as you're listening to us? Um, you know, or maybe take an opportunity to hit pause and reflect on anything. Um, although many of the topics we've covered are in different areas, they do all relate to each other quite nicely. Um, and I hope that there's something cohesive in this podcast that can give you some really generative things to think about and work with in your own life. Um, yeah, so I think we actually met in Circle. Um, but yeah, I was thinking a little bit about this like interesting connection between working in the fields of addiction recovery mm. and then also working with plant medicine. And kind of like wherein lies the difference for you between things like alcohol and quote unquote drugs and plant medicine. Is it in the intention or in the substance itself? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I, I work with that question a lot myself and I, I have some strong opinions on it. Um, I feel like there really is a difference. Yeah, I would say that in general, the potential for growth with these plants and again, maybe it's not in a ceremonial setting, in a traditional ceremonial setting for everyone. But for me, I found that like being in that space really does make it a more mindful mm. decision mm -hmm. um, or a more mindful action and that 
especially with proper integration, because for me, integration occurs before the event as well mm. as after the event. Um, so, um, for instance, for my first ayahuasca ceremony, I spent a number of weeks and probably a couple of months actually really preparing my body for what I was going to do. Okay. Um, so in general, there's a pre-medicine dieta, um, different practitioners do this differently, but in general, you're meant to abstain from harsh things that you might put in your body, anything toxic, any, you know, fats, generally red meat, um, alcohol, other substances, um, at least leading up to ceremony, meant to abstain from sex, um, sometimes even like heavy, like spices and... Interesting. Um, yeah, you want to be like as... Um, basically as sensitive as possible to receive okay. the medicine. So, Like neutral almost. Mm-hmm. Inter- but also preparing my mind and also doing a lot of journaling and sort of creating a a relationship with ayahuasca before I sat with her. Okay. Um, so I, my first connection, um, I had a really powerful dream that I was in the Amazon. And I don't dream very oh, much, wow. but I had a dream that, that evening, I think, that I had said yes. Um, so after deciding that I was a full-bodied yes to sit with ayahuasca, I had a really powerful dream that I was in the Amazon and there was a giant snake and it was like bigger than this room. It was, you know, many, it was wow. as large as a tree and it was cut open. This is a little gruesome. Do you remember what color it was? It was green. Okay. It's a big green snake, and it was cut open from stem to stern, which is a little rough. Okay. Love that, but... Just, like, straight down the middle? Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, it was... Stuff was coming out, but... Displayed open? Yeah. But in any event, I was in the jungle, and yeah. I, was, I was feeling a very powerful message of, like, ayahuasca was there with me in that Mm. moment and I've actually had ayahuasca dreams um since then after the experience um and as well as on the nights of sitting or after sitting I've had some interesting ayahuasca dreams um but I've heard that from other folks as well as um having this experience of just developing this relationship with ayahuasca prior to sitting so interesting if she speaks to you yeah so I actually have never I've never I've not yet sat with ayahuasca. Um, And for anyone listening who's not used to this language, sitting with ayahuasca means the same thing as, like, I haven't done ayahuasca yet. Um, But I was sitting in meditation one day, and I felt like I heard... I'd been, like, researching about ayahuasca a little bit, and I kind of saw, like, an image of the vine flash, and I heard that I was supposed to sit with her at 33, in my 33rd year was supposed to be my first time doing ayahuasca, which is really interesting because you're 33, you just turned 33. So, yeah, that actually has, like, been really interesting to me because I probably would have liked to do it sooner. You know, I was 28 when I received that message, so. But, you know, all things in timing. If that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's absolutely fascinating, and I have chills. Um, not just because of the 33 synchronicity, sure. but I also think that there is, a, she will come to you, and, and there'll be a time. And 
you know, I like I, I mentioned earlier, I've as even as a much, much younger individual, I had tremendous capacity for curiosity of of things of this nature. And I just remember being like 15 and, you know, reading about like reading like Carlos Castaneda, which is peyote journeys and just being okay. like, I want to get into that. Like, yeah. I just knew I was just it, there was something that just drew me. And um, I knew as a very young person that this was something I wanted to sit with. And um, I had had experiences over time where I'd meet people that were, you know, doing those kind of things. And it just, I was always a little, I was curious to know more, but I never felt like, I was never like, where do you go? I want to go do that right now. Like it never felt like the right time mm. until it did. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm really grateful that it, she appeared when she did because, yeah. you know, I've, I've had, um, I've, I've only sat, I've sat three nights in my life, um, but they've all been really profound times, and beautiful. I expect her to show up again, but I'm not yeah. looking for her. If that makes right. sense. So yeah. So like I, that's one thing I was wondering about. You said that like you weren't like super actively trying to figure out exactly how to access this medicine, but then when the time was right, was it kind of available to you, or did you still have to seek it out? It it was available. Yeah. It um it was something that. Um, yeah, a healer friend of mine and a medicine woman was, um, had, had a ceremony and, nice. um, that was, yeah, it just all kind of lined up and it, but there was a lot of work and preparation that went into it. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back to the original question kind of, of like the difference between like quote unquote drugs and alcohol and plant medicine, like something that I'm hearing about it is like, uh, like one thing you mentioned is like the potential for growth. But like generative healing nature, or you didn't say healing, but you said like the generative, the growth nature, and the mindfulness, and the integration. I think I maybe was picking up on that as well. I personally see things like let's just give like cocaine a name, or mm-hmm. alcohol, yeah, let's talk about alcohol. cocaine. That's yeah. a good example. Yeah. I find that those, or let's say opiates, Mm -hmm. those are really like life draining forces. Those are things that bring a lot of like really low vibrational stuff along with it. So the reason that I think that cocaine is a really interesting example is cocaine comes from the coca leaf, which is in very, very high altitudes. And uh, the people will chew it in order to help their bodies like take in more oxygen and their, their blood more effective at moving the oxygen around as they're hiking in these high altitudes so like in that space it does feel pretty generative to me in that kind of gentle way but it's almost like the bastardization of that which could be considered plant medicine of the coca leaf into something like cocaine it's like kind of for me where it kind of shifts from being like a plant medicine to kind of something that feels more like sinister in a sense mm-hmm. or um i guess i don't want to say sinister but just more quote-unquote like not a plant medicine anymore, but something a little more, uh, I don't have the words for it. I'm going to give the mic back to you. That's no, that's a fascinating point. That's really, that, that brings up a lot for me because I find that with ceremonial work, um, I actually have sat with coca before in a ceremonial sense. And we actually do similar, I've done similar work in ceremonies and I've seen, um, different medicine people uh, or practitioners, um, 
use and reclaim these plants, Mm -hmm. tobacco being one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Tobacco is something that I've seen worked with on a ceremonial level where, um, you know, without the additives, without the chemicals, Mm -hmm. um, these are herbs and plants that have been used for good reason for years. And um, and people have had really profound relationships. And I actually feel like I, I do have a profound relationship with tobacco at this point that, you know, as a former smoker, I never had that relationship with tobacco. It was sure. more of just a crutch or a habit. Um, I no longer really smoke, but I, um, I do sit with hape, which is a um, ground up tobacco leaf snuff. Um, and you sit and you really meditate with it. And um, I find it to be really grounding and I've had you know some really strong breakthroughs and downloads and you know really comforting comforting guidance in a Mm. you know from that plant so I feel like what we're talking about is sort of goes back to the you know the reclaiming of something that has become has basically been colonized sure and you know and has been you know just distilled into this substance that really is just so separate from what it was intended for absolutely yeah yeah I think there's a lot to be said there like with also labels and labeling things as Mm. good and bad and jumbling things together like saying you know drugs are bad when I don't think drugs are bad you know Mm -hmm. I think that um you know I think that there are times and places and I think that these plant teachers can be incredible guides on our journey and it um but it's hard to look at everything so black and white sure the grayscale grayscale (laughs) right yeah absolutely and I think that this can kind of get into an interesting area because Especially, you know, personally being someone that works with a substance use disorder clientele um, population, I hear a lot of folks saying that they really don't think that any sort of use is appropriate for them. They feel very strongly that total abstinence is their way. Mm -hmm. So I feel very strongly about when we're talking about therapeutic potential for plant medicine and healing, and I actually think there's a tremendous potential for plant medicine and healing addiction. Mm. However, that is a very fine line to walk. It's a very funny edge. And I think that it does go, it does go to personal empowerment. Um, I think that for some people, that can't be an option. And I think that I, I honor that. I think that that's mm-hmm. really real. And I think that different people have different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big thing for me. Um so for me, it's been really empowering to to be able to say, like, hey, this is something that I choose to do in a really intentional way. And that's been my experience. And I honor I honor the absolute variety of experiences out there that have shared but yet very different experiences with the same topic. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't make anyone wrong, you know? We can all be right in living our own truth. I think as long as you're willing to also listen to others, you know, and hold space for for difference of experience. 
And I think it kind of goes to like the individualism that happens in each people's each person's life. Um, life. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's individual. It's unique. Exactly. It's yeah, it's I mean, one size does not fit all, and I think that's true for healing. And I think it, you know, it empowerment also kind of speaks to respect in some ways um, and respecting like, hey, this is where I am and this is how I'm going to, this is how I'm going to do something with all this energy and this is how I'm going to, you know, transform my own experience or, or grow from something. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about um, heavy stuff, the healing and transformation, transmutation, death. I guess rebirth is kind of built in. So I'm wondering like kind of like what's it all for? You know, like what 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 are in the other parts of the wheel that are not like the the dying part of the cycle? Yeah, we've we've undertaken a fairly weighty topic today, which I think um, it just goes hand in hand with Scorpio. It really does. I, I think it's hard to mention Scorpio without mentioning death and rebirth. And in my experience, the process of spiritual growth and the process of this hero's journey has really been an uncovering of a very simple truth mm-hmm. and something that I need to return to and I try to return to in generally many moments throughout my day. But that truth is just love mm. and love for all that is and love for self. And that's really been my journey. It's been about compassion and forgiveness and love. Mm. And I think that it's been a roundabout journey. It's been a really windy road. And I'm from New Hampshire, and the poet Robert Frost is from New Hampshire. And he has a beautiful poem where he talks about taking the road less traveled. Mm. And I think about that sometimes when I think about my own journey. And um, it's been a it's been an interesting loop, but um, at the end of the day, I'm really grateful for some of, you know, some of my my obstacles because I feel like they've really given me this gift of self-love and of, of love and, mm. and higher capacity for expansion and and willingness to sit with the duality of the human experience. So. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I gotta say, I'm always so impressed by the drivers in New Hampshire and how well they can navigate those winding roads. Like, you all go pretty quickly <laughs> down those roads, but it's like you know them. You do. You know, and you're like nimble. So, like, if something unexpected happens, like, it's all good. You got it figured out. You know, and I guess that sort of thing only comes with years of experience of driving winding roads Mm. i love that analogy that's so beautiful (laughs) it was your analogy and i relate to it yeah (laughs) but you teased it out of me which was really beautiful (laughs) (laughs) 
And also this idea that it all comes down to love, and that's what it's all for. Mm. And I love that. I love that it's cliche because it's universal, right? It's only cliche because it's true to the point that people bring it up time and time again when they get to a certain point in their development. Mm. Well, it just speaks a little to the duality. And, you know, like I said, we covered a lot of of the heaviness today. But I think at the same time, it it really just kind of filters itself back out to to both light and dark. And, yeah, to me, it's a little bit like being around bees and, you know, getting that little taste of honey, but also having the, the sting. The sting. <laughs> yeah interesting I'm so grateful for the space to have this conversation and and to you know share a little bit about myself that's been really really unique and I appreciate you so much Evelyn I really do and thank you for having me yeah totally I'm so glad that that you came and that you shared today too and yeah I really I appreciate your energy and your wisdom and your willingness to learn like it's all so inspiring Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I guess I'm wondering if we could do one last thing before we end. Uh, you have this deck here, the one that you did your birthday reading with. I was wondering if we might pull a card for our listeners. Absolutely. Amazing. And so I'm working with um, Kim Kranz's archetype deck. So we'll pull one card for the collective of everyone listening. If you want a card pulled for you, I guess just set the intention that you're open to receiving a message. Um, and the practice of cartomancy and divination is a very scorpionic kind of thing. We work with chaos theory, probability, and archetypes. What is it? Okay. <gasps> the card that I picked was the kiss. Oh. <laughs> which is the touch, the chemistry, or the sex. Before a first kiss, the air is electrified. Each breath is alive with possibility and magic. What will their lips be like? Their tongue. Do they want me in return? The archetypal energy of the kiss is a heightened sensation of merging with other. Of, let, of letting in what was moments ago separate. Two become one. It is risky but beautiful business. These moments forever change us as we move past the solitary self towards union and acceptance. This card suggests true intimacy is around the corner, which requires bravery and surrender. When the kiss takes a non-human form, it may be experienced as touching the sacred, hearing a whisper, or being graced by a divine being. You will recognize the presence of the kiss by cold chills and an awakening of the heart. Mm. There you have it. It's <laughs> very cool. I think that's like some of the more enjoyable sides of Scorpio. Totally. Absolutely. And I think it just speaks to the beauty of human connection, which is what we're doing here. Yeah. Totally. That's like such a perfect card, I think, to end this reading with. Mm. And there's a moon on the card. It's like a crescent moon. And then there's like two people holding hands, but like only kind of. Mm. It's a really interesting image. 
Yes, thank you so much for listening. I hope that this was something for you. Okay, thank you so much. Have a beautiful day wherever you are. And good luck with your hero's journey. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, This is Prismatic Perspectives. And I am here with Kenny who is an honorary Scorpio. That's not true, you're just an actual Scorpio. <laughs> Welcome, thank you for coming. Thank you. Um, yeah, so you said this is your first time ever on a podcast, yeah? This is true. Okay, how are you feeling about it? It's interesting. I never thought that this day would come. Mm-hmm. Now here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't thought too much about it, I guess. Yeah. Just, um... I don't really listen to too many podcasts or much at all. Okay. But it'd be interesting yeah. to begin. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> what uh, what kind of stuff do you like to do if you don't listen to podcasts? Good question. I read a lot. You read a lot? Of comic books. Mm. Technically, the very first comic I ever got was... um. I, don't even, I actually don't know the number, but it was a Ghost Rider comic. Mm-hmm. Because, um, must have been like 10 years old. Some guy on a flight to Miami gave him to me. I forgot why he was talking to me mm. and why comics came up. But then he's just like, here you go. Some really old Ghost Rider stuff. That sounds and, pretty spooky. Yeah, the cover was some like old wizard guy with an orb that had um, the Ghost Rider demon and also Johnny Blaze on it. Wow. And it was interesting. I haven't really followed up on Ghost Rider too much. So who is the Ghost Rider? Is he like a Grim Reaper or like a... He's like, um, he's like a stunt guy. Oh, okay. He does like bike tricks and like big jumps and stuff. Okay. And he comes from like a lineage of that. So his dad was like, I'm pretty sure also a stunt guy. And his story is like, his dad gets like cancer or something. Mm-hmm. And then some sketchy guy who's actually like Mephisto, who's like an analog for like the devil, is just like, yeah, I'll cure your dad's cancer. Just like sign here. Oh, just right. like agree. Like trouble. When I when I call you, like be sure to answer. Mm-hmm. And so that's when he. I think the demon is called Xanathos, the actual fire skull guy. Yeah. And so he traps Xanathos inside of him. I think that's like the Grecian god of death. Oh, maybe. Xanathos or something? Hmm, yeah, because, like, um... So cool. Uh, what's it called? Well, actually, that might be Thanatos. And... Yeah, so he makes the deal, and so Mephisto agrees to cure his dad of cancer, but then his dad dies the next day, like, attempting a trick. Mm. Like, something goes wrong. Uh Uh-huh. It's kind of just, like, you know, the devil deal. Right, right, right. Like, death was the cure. Yeah, yeah. So his dad dies anyway. (laughs) Right. And um, he gets stuck with the demon. He's also, like, the spirit of vengeance. Mm -hmm. But he's not, like... But he's, like, a superhero. Like, he figures out pretty quickly how to utilize that for not nefarious demonic purposes. But he still has that tether to Mephisto and so I haven't followed the comic closely but it seemed like it was about that kind of like 
having that power, knowing where it comes from and like trying to make the best of it and while also having that connection and dealing with that mm. too would cause a lot of trouble. Which does remind me of something that really resonated. Um, it, it ended recently, like last year, but like, ooh, Immortal Hulk. Mm-hmm. And Louis heard me talk about it a lot. I'm sure I love Immortal Hulk. It's by Al Ewing, who's a really great comic book writer. He's so many great ideas. And mm-hmm. I've never cared about the Hulk okay. at all. Like, yeah. Not a, usually not something that appeals to me, like big green guy. That, Feels a little boring but, to me. Right, too. right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, okay, well, why Immortal Hulk then? <clears throat> it starts by taking the... Like, kind of like comic book characters never really die and stuff. Like, they do, and there's like a big drama around it all. And then they come back. Yeah. Because the comics come out monthly like it's perpetual they never end right and so i really like that so one of the first things that happens to that is like okay that's just part of the story now like it's not some weird like comic book trope necessarily like it's it's woven into the narrative like he actually died he yeah he he can't die oh okay is the yeah. thing is what he finds out like because well. that begins with there's some other storyline from some other book that isn't that good where um before he transforms he has like hawkeye shoot him with a special arrow so it like kills him mm-hmm. so he doesn't become hulk again but he comes back anyway but he comes back a little different mm. it's like um hulk's first appearance like his very first comics and stuff he didn't like hulk smash like he actually spoke very like like eloquently yeah interesting and had a bit more of a sinister like kind of tinge to his wording and stuff Mm -hmm. and so there is kind of like it's the immortal hulk is kind of like a callback to some of that stuff which is fun it's also like um the thing with hulk that pretty much up until that point it didn't really, and then again, I preface with, I didn't really care about Hulk, so I could be wrong about some of the stuff from Hulk history, sure. but Noted. it didn't seem like it didn't touch too much. Like, there was always the, like, Bruce Banner versus Hulk persona thing, but kind of ignored when other ones, like, popped up, really. Like, it didn't really focus on that too much. Mm-hmm. It just, like, was a thing that happened sometimes. Yeah. Like... But it, it gets more into, um, like, DID stuff and, like, where that comes from. What does that mean? Uh, dis- dissociative identity. Oh, okay. Disorder, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like dissociation. And, um, and his childhood stuff is usually that's something that develops, like, mm-hmm. early childhood from, like... Are you familiar with the idea of, like, the hero's journey? Somewhat, yeah. Do you feel like you see that a lot in comic books, in these stories? Yeah, it definitely comes up. Mm. Definitely, like... Is this something you've ever seen in your own life? Maybe. It's like the whole, like, rise and fall, like, 
Yeah, so it's like a, there's like a call to action and then the yeah. choice to step through the thresholds and then like an ordeal you have to go through, but you learn a lesson and you get like a gift and then you like return home new or different somehow. I'm sure that has happened in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing yeah. <laughs> about the Hulk. I learned a lot. Yeah. Oh, but the thing the thing with that um that like resonated was just like oh, it's just so well written and just like the it, it takes it takes like all the little like it's a really good deconstruction of the character. Uh huh. And like it's just it's it's really good. Okay. <laughs> and um it's super like anti-capitalist and like body horror like book. It's very well drawn. Like it's yeah. probably one of the most beautiful books on the Interesting. market. Interesting. Beautiful so, body horror. Yeah. Okay. That's how I describe it. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. What do you think is beautiful about body horror? Just like um, well, at least for that specific example, is like it's really grotesque. Or, like, that's kind of, like, the aim of it, of course. It's like, oh, but it's not just, like, gross out. Like, oh, this is, like, nasty. It's just, like, that's what happens when, like, bodies change and mm. they move and are hurt and stuff. Like, things right. aren't, like, in a lot of other comics or TV shows or whatever, like, someone takes, like, a sword, you know, to the chest or something and then there's, they just draw a line there. Right. And then just have a cut. And it's uh-huh. like, that's not what things look like. Right. Like, even when you just, like, cut your, like, finger a little too far with a knife, like, that's not what things look like. Right. Like, bodies are amazing, and they're really gross in those ways. Totally, totally. And I feel like the depictions of all that is, like, like, in prior comics, Hulk changing, um, kind of just, like, silhouette, and then he's big. But in this comic, you see all his bones breaking oh, wow. and stretching, and like there's this really cool scene where um, this like Hulk persona only comes out at night because he's like weak to sunlight and ultraviolet rays. Mm. The government finds that out pretty quickly, mm-hmm. so they have these giant mechs that have just like UV rays come out. Oh, and there's this really cool scene where like Hulk is standing, and um, so the the UV mechs come and just like shine on the on Hulk and and like his upper half just melts and bends backwards and yeah. then in the center there is Bruce Banner while oh. his body is melting <laughs> off of him and it's just like so wicked. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. Like, that's like a really powerful yeah. image. One of the ways that the government like ends up like capturing him is they they cut him into little parts. And put them in like individual jars, very far from each other. Whoa! But just the Hulk part, not the oh, first no, no, the banner whole, part. The whole thing. All yeah. of them. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I feel like I felt like that in my life sometimes. Like I'm like placed in different places. Yeah. It's important to like to go back and get them. Yeah, and then and that's what ends up happening is they they all like through sheer force of will like make themselves come together again. Oh, interesting. Eventually. Yeah. And I think, if I remember correctly, there was, like, a person in between all the jars, like a security guard or something, and just <laughs> smashed. Just right. lost in that. Whoa. 
and so it, it ties into a lot of um like why he comes back like life and death stuff there's this figure that he's connected to kind of like ghost rider and mephisto called the one below all mm. in this kind of like hell thing zone and every time he dies he has this memory of going through a green door but he never remembers what happens on the other side when he comes back mm. and what do you think the green door represents a good question I feel like it's it's really like right it's what he steps through to come back if he doesn't go through it he doesn't come back to life mm. and I think it's like that decision is important yeah like he doesn't remember what happens back there but like he has to he has to decide to walk through it and come back and does he choose to every time yeah wow yeah it can't happen without him walking through that's cool i feel like we all have moments in our life that are like that too where like we don't know what's going to happen but we know there's like something we must do yeah so i always thought that was really interesting and like he's he doesn't remember it but of course as the reader like you get a lot of insight Mm-hmm. And, like, so he sees all kinds of figures there, like, his abusive father and, like, other people from his past and stuff. And, and it's, um, I mean, it doesn't sound like a fun place, so that probably makes it easier to leave. Right? But. Yeah. And it's, like, an important part of the process. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. So, you know, speaking of being in different places, um, have you lived many places in your life? Mm, not too many. Mm-hmm. Mostly in Rhode Island. Okay. I Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. So, like, in and out of different towns and cities yeah. in Rhode Island, but I spent time elsewhere, like, in my youth. I've definitely spent, like, extended periods in Peru mm-hmm. and stuff. Hey, you said you have some family from there. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you were there a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. How was the trip? It was a lot. It was very chaotic. Uh-huh. Poorly thought out. Okay. But it really worked. It really, like, things worked out. Yeah. Because they do, and it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Definitely stressful at times, but, like... Yeah, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, and you were mentioning um, how high up it is. Oh, yeah. Like, I well, think someone actually said, like, the moon and the sun, like, look bigger mm-hmm. from certain places. The effect that they have, or at least for me personally, but I know others as well. Um, I definitely felt it, like, that presence, like, the sun, like, burns. Yeah. Like, obviously, the sun burns, but, like, mm-hmm. going from, like, basically around sea level to 11,000 up in Cusco, one of the many places we were, like, it burns. It's yeah. just, like, big fireball. And it's just, like, now we're so much closer. And mm-hmm. I think that was part of why I wasn't feeling well. Like, it does not do good things to me, <laughs> sun. Right. 
But it's interesting, like Scorpios like live in the desert and they hide under rocks until the sun yeah, goes down. Yeah, and then that and then like when the moon was out, like it's huge. Mm. How did that make you so feel? So it's like brighter. That made me feel like I couldn't sleep. Like I was mm. up. I was just like, <laughs> even though I was like tired, and then that like Cusco was towards the end of the trip, and we'd been going through things nonstop. Like it would make me feel like awake and I didn't want to be awake and like it was just like charging me right it's like yeah like I'm supposed to dig out of the desert and do my my Scorpio stuff at that time oh true true yeah I'd sleep during the day have you had any nocturnal chapters in your life nocturnal definitely like whenever it comes to like creative stuff mm-hmm all like all the ideas and everything always come out like 2 3 a.m and stuff and i mean i'm not working now but i've been trying to avoid it but like in path in the past when i like i'm not working i just kind of lean into it and let it happen because like, i don't have to be up for a job or something and then like like 2017 2018 yeah i started finally doing more music and being in more bands and stuff partially because like i would just be up all night and just oh it's like a more creative time for you so you wound up writing more music yeah so it it, it works out better i don't know why it's not as functional in the morning but yeah i find that too it's really interesting like I, I feel like when i'm a morning person i take better care of myself but when i'm a night person i feel more like enlivened yeah <laughs> trying to take better care of myself right now i think but mm-hmm. i miss that like i come across things and i'm just like okay cool i want to do some music or like something creative mm-hmm. art stuff and i just don't have the the drive mm. until like it's real late and then i'm like oh okay got ideas but maybe I shouldn't make noise right now and like right or I should wake up at a good time so I shouldn't like lean into it and stuff and I imagine the music that you make is maybe kind of loud is that like an assumption on my part uh, no it's pretty right it's generally loud it's not always but especially in bands and stuff I usually play in like pretty loud bands when I play to my like I don't really have like a solo thing, but I used to a little bit and I would do like loops with my bass and a bunch of effects and stuff and so it wouldn't be like, it would still be loud, it just wouldn't be like abrasive, I guess. Okay. I feel like a lot of my other bands that I tend to get into are usually on the more abrasive side. Okay. And your solo stuff, was it like droney kind of? Yeah, it was like ambient droney kind of thing. It sounds relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. You could just like depending on where I was living when these things are happening like can definitely be heard and felt mm-hmm. by other people who are probably trying to sleep right well I feel like if you make the right kind of drone music it'll just gently slip into their dreams yeah. as ambiance <laughs> be cool and just infect them with fun vibes fun slow chill vibes yeah that's cool um you told me some incredible things about your time in Peru yesterday. Uh, 
I don't know if you feel like sharing any of them. Oh, sure. Here. Yeah, like, um... So much. Cusco was definitely a big focus, because it's just, like, so high up. Yeah. It yeah, you said they're, they're giving you coca leaves, like, left and right to help mm-hmm. with it, right? Yeah, the last time I was there was um, 20 years prior. Okay. And so, obviously, as a child, and the soroche, the altitude sickness, hit me hard. Mm-hmm. I was in the hospital. Oh, no. Like, a clinic for a couple of days. Yeah. Because I got there and like my head felt like it was like not good <laughs> and it was like throwing up a bunch. Mm-hmm. It was rough. Because the air is like thinner. Yeah, the air is thinner. Yeah. And, like things are just really different. The environment's so different. Like the thing with the sun and the moon. Yeah. Being so much closer, like it just changes everything. I can't imagine. Yeah. Did it, they give you coca as a kid? I don't remember. Yeah. They in the clinic they definitely gave me some weird like fluid thing. Okay. It tasted really bad. I remember I took a sip and it started making me like gag. Mm. So my bright idea was like, okay, well then I'll drink it all really fast. <laughs> Did it taste like a chemical bad or like earth bad? Yeah, like a chemical bad. Mm, okay. Kind of thing. And yeah. so then I I but I don't know what it is this day, I don't really know. It was clear liquid. It was like a little salty. It reminds me of like what IV fluid smells like. Maybe like a Pedialyte, but without the flavoring. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the idea. Okay. Actually, that that does sound very right. And mm-hmm. so then I just downed it and immediately threw up. <laughs> so I had to. So that to bring me more because I got rid of all of the stuff oh, that no. I drank. Yeah. Okay. So besides uh, the altitude sickness, what else? Yeah. Oh, but um, for that, yeah, as an adult. Everybody, everywhere, it was like coca leaf, everything. Just like the moment they heard I wasn't doing well because of the altitude, they're just like, here's some coca candies, here's some coca tea, chew these coca leaves. Did it help? Yeah, it kind of did. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt it like, so I think it's definitely worthwhile, but it was just like, everybody's on top of it. <laughs> everybody's got some kind of coca something. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's the like only thing I didn't in. catch was like nobody had cocaine, I guess. Uh huh. But or maybe someone did and nobody offered. But do you I, feel like that would have helped more than the cocaine? Oh, I don't know. I've never done that before. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. For me personally, it probably would have hurt. It probably would have. I feel like yeah, there. the anxiety of not feeling well, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's really interesting how the plant itself is so different than the substance, like, distilled down. Yeah. Totally different vibe, it seems like. I think so. It's, like, it's really medicinal and stuff. Like, it's really... Everybody's all about it. Everyone's got some. And it's just, like, a bunch of different things that you can do or that it'll help with. Actually, with, like, indigestion and, like, head stuff mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And there, but also, um, my grandfather was there mm-hmm. in Cusco. Did not know I had a grandfather. Yeah, you just found yeah. out during this trip. Like, um, I met him during this trip, but okay. I, I, my mom found out a couple years ago. Yeah. So then it's like, I didn't really know his name or anything, but like, um, I knew he existed at that point. So yeah. I found that he is a person on the, in the world, like a couple years ago. Yeah. That was really interesting, like, 
Because he... Well, I didn't know about him because my mom is kind of adopted. Like, okay. my grandma had her and, like, didn't really, like, ever mention who the father was. Sure. And kind of hid that. Is Peru a matriarchal society? I know it's an oversimplified question. Yeah. Not exactly. Okay. Definitely, definitely still feel a lot of more, like, patriarchal stuff. Like, Catholicism has really infected a lot of stuff like that. okay. Like, they're, like, it's, it can be a little different in some of the more indigenous areas, but even though those areas are really, like, very, very Catholic. I see. And so, kind of rigid in in those ways. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... And you mentioned, um... I think you said your grandmother speaking a little bit of the indigenous language yeah, with you as well. Yeah, she speaks a little bit of Quechua. Yeah. And so I've, like, learned a little bit here and there from that. It seems like a lot of people, especially in Cusco, it's a little more indigenous than, like, Lima. Do you think that's because it's so high up? That probably has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's harder to get to. Right. It's, like, like more defended. Yeah, like, that's why, like, Machu Picchu itself, like, the Spaniards never found it. That was like rediscovered way later. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of stuff was like genuinely preserved up there because they never got their dirty hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that up there. Yeah, because it's just so high up, it's easier to defend and like harder to reach and even think about. Right, and they like the people there are kind of acclimated to a specific climate that would yeah. take a lot of people out, it sounds like. Yeah. Like, it's just obvious if you're a tourist. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a thing. That's why, like... And that's why I appreciate the pharmacies there. You can just go in and be like, hey, yeah, anything for, like, soroche, and they've got, like, all the medicine ready to go, and they know exactly, like, what to give you. That's sweet. That's a nice form of care, too. Yeah. So what was meeting your grandfather like? He sounds like he was quite interesting to you. Yeah, he was cool. He's, um... An archaeologist and anthropologist Mm -hmm. and so he's got like in his house his house is not quite a house it's a really tall like six-story building and so he lives on the first floor and has like a market on the the front side of the first floor Mm -hmm. and then rents out like the other floors and the very top floors though are um is a museum yeah all of his like collected stuff like from digs and also like he was mentioning that like some of the stuff was from like black market stuff like definitely stuff like i've said before like of dubious legality but like he's got like that uh, mummified head and like some special skulls and stuff and but you said it was all pretty much from peru right yeah trying to keep it away from being like pillaged basically yeah, he didn't want it to just go out to, like, private collectors who didn't know what it was or, like, mm-hmm. wanted to, like, keep the culture in, like, yeah. Peru. And so the museum is dedicated to that. So it's, like, Incan stuff, it's Moche stuff, which is, like, pre-Incan uh-huh. and, like, even further back. Do you know, like, what year that is? It's old, old, right? Yeah, Incans, the Incan stuff is, like, 1500s, I want to say. Okay. So 5,000 years ago. And then the moche stuff is like 
like 500 maybe kind of stuff like okay my math so. was wrong by the way oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know, like really off yeah 580. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a thousand years back. And like I could be a little bit off with those years too. But it's that's kind of generally where I'm pretty sure they're around. What was it like seeing those things? They were really special. Yeah. Could like really feel like how old they were and mm. some of the depictions and stuff and like the quipus were really cool. What's that? It's like a system of recording that's like uses like threads and knots oh yeah i remember seeing photos of those so based on the what's used what's tied in them where the knots are placed the colors of the threads and stuff it can mean all kinds of things mm. and a lot of what they mean are mostly like inferences because something that um when the spaniards came for the incans they made sure to like exterminate all the people who could read the quipus oh so all the people so who were like real good at that like yeah he made sure to cut that line of communication damn so a uh, plenty and plenty still exists and are found but it's tough to really nail down like what they mean mm-hmm. yeah you said you thought it was probably a form of like census or information about like uh how different birds would affect yeah there were different different ones it seemed like they were probably utilized for like because there wasn't like a written language per se but there was the people recorded that's really smart that's a really smart solution to not having written language so it sounds like information that needed to be recorded or like big information and stuff Mm -hmm. like they were basically like books each thread would be a page and then each knot and each tied thing would be like the contents of the page Mm mm-hmm yeah and so you said that you went once when you were younger and then once recently are those the two times you've gone to Cusco specifically yeah okay what is coming home like after that at the most recent one it was like kind of bittersweet Mm. it was nice to be home see my cat and like like oh yeah Rhode Island but like more and more time I spend in Peru, especially in Cusco, I'm like, I love it here. Mm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. I feel very connected to culture stuff and, like, people and everything. Like, encountering people that are really seem to have some understanding of what a community is. Okay. And intentionally want to have one. Yeah. And not just, like people bumping into each other who live near each other and just like yeah yeah, i guess yeah i talk to that person sometimes but like it's like well that's my family like what do you think makes it community as opposed to bumping into people you live yeah i think intentions okay intentions are a big one like ideally people are thinking about each other's best interests right like honoring the humanity right like, this stranger is, like, a whole person. They have a whole story and a history and a life. Yeah, like, I, um, I bought a house recently, like a mm-hmm. year ago, which is a whole other thing. Didn't think that would happen Yeah. so soon, but right. here we are. You made it happen. And one of the first things I did is I went to my, my next-door neighbor, like, my closest one, and, mm-hmm. like, like, as soon as there was, like, 
it was really easy too because he was having like a yard sale so it's like oh nice i didn't just like cold go up and be like hey i'm your new neighbor like perfect excuse but mm -hmm. i saw that and i was like hell yeah i'm gonna talk to my neighbor buy some random thing and say hi what did you get do you remember i bought like work gloves oh nice and then i also ended up getting a a bookshelf later okay. on and stuff and um but like like of course like many of us have the understanding you know there are fences and like separate houses that's my neighbor i'm not just gonna like go in there like there is some semblance of community and understanding there where like we're not just gonna like step into each other's like mm. property or whatever. like the boundaries of community right 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 mm -hmm. they're within community but i think i think yeah that that's an element of community but that's not like what community is not just having boundaries right it's right right yeah so much more than that and um so i went over specifically to try to form that community it's like this is a person and like He's got some stickers on that truck, and he, like, definitely seems that has a lot of different views than I do, but, like, that's not what it was necessarily, like, it wasn't about that. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that, like, it's not like the in my, like, curated social media, like, echo chamber where, like, everybody that I follow and follows me has, like, generally similar ideals and stuff. Like, but that's still, like, we're in each other's space. And, like, mm -hmm. like there's an unspoken understanding. Like, we're going to respect the boundary. But it's, like, it's, it should be more than that, I think. Like, mm -hmm. we don't hang out. We don't talk all the time. But I went over there. I bought something. Introduced myself. Exchanged numbers. So if anything comes up within the community mm -hmm. or with if there's an issue with something I'm doing or anything, like, just talk about it yeah because it turns out we're both people and right. we share that space and so nothing has really come up but like I've mentioned like oh I do music so maybe if I'm loud like maybe call me before like the cops or something totally yeah and um or when things are going down like in the community like, like in the neighborhood yeah uh -huh. like we, we can talk about it we can like versus trying to like figure like if there's like there's like a a giant pothole that the city's not fixing like maybe we can talk about it and like fix it together whereas like maybe as individuals like i don't want to put up the money for that for right, myself right because so everybody uses the road i'm hearing like an acknowledgement of shared space an acknowledgement of caretaking of that shared space um and being able to communicate with each other before having to call in like outside hierarchical forces yeah, like yeah, and so, like, any mediation stuff, like, I don't even think that it's... Yeah, there, there's definitely many steps before someone else needs yeah. to come in to do that. And like, right, and you don't have to be the same. Like, you can right. have different views and share in community. Yeah, and it's just, like, it's, it's not, uh, I guess, to me, not relevant in that moment in the way that we share space. Like, there is relevance in that, and, like, maybe through knowing each other conversations that can be had so we have like understandings of like how to make things better for everybody uh -huh. in general but um yeah and now like when my lawn was overgrown was like came over and was like hey you need help with that like you want to like or like his kids like ball went over my the fence into my yard like uh -huh. 
It's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a stranger. Like, you know who I am. You see me all the time. Like, So let me ask you, how is this version of community different than the idea of community of people wanting to find people that are like them and create spaces where like people are together? <clears throat> I think... I think that that's like... There's definitely a form of community. Mm-hmm. It feels very different. Yeah, it does feel really different because it's like having those spaces, especially depending on like where you're coming from, are really important to have like like-minded people, people you feel safe with, mm-hmm. can share ideas with. I think the difference is like in terms in like the material world. Mm-hmm. like tangible reality like people because like that's just it's really easy to shape on the internet or like going to certain spaces that are drawing people but like mm-hmm. we all live in like neighborhoods towns sure. cities states and like whether we want to or not it's never gonna be like a homogenous kind of yeah. space like and it shouldn't be yeah and it generally shouldn't be but like I think that it's easy to lean into those spaces and then just, like, pretend nothing else exists. Yeah. Like, there needs to be a balance between the two types of community yeah. that we're talking and then, about. And then that leads to a lot of issues that I really... Like, I don't think that, like, some of the, a lot of the people that I have, like, issues with, I don't think it necessarily stems from that, but I, I do notice a pattern that they, like, that's the communities that they choose. Just, like, people who fully agree with them and like mm-hmm. just say yes to everything that they do and ask for and like yeah I think like one of the functions of a community the ver- the type of community where you're like with like-minded people one of the functions of that is to give a sense of security so that you're able to go to your neighbor that has different views than you and interact yeah. with them in a space that's grounded knowing that you have people you know in the area that do have you know your best interest in mind yeah that's that's what I think. That's what I think would be like. Yeah, I think that that level, that form of community is really important, but it shouldn't end there. And not that everybody needs to be like the forefront, like, of changing the world and stuff, but like. But we all do in our, our little ways. Right, right. I think just like me meeting my neighbor, like, changed a lot for both of us. Mm. So anytime, like, not much has come up, but if anything does, and all the things that do, like, it would have been a lot different if we didn't know each other and have each other's phone numbers and stuff like yeah so now we can talk to each other i started talking to another neighbor because mm-hmm. <clears throat> their little like kittens started coming into my yard oh cute a bit more which is cool so yeah the, the kitten's cute but um verify that it does in fact live with somebody and it's not just like <laughs> hanging out because there's no collar or anything and so it's like okay that's good to know yeah and, like, now if, like, it's ever hanging out too long, like, they can call me and be like, hey, my cat's, is my cat over there? And I'm like, yes, no, like, I can go check. Sure. Yeah, there's definitely, like, functional, functional things to yeah. to doing that that feel nice. And I think also just to kind of break us out of our, like, little nuclear homes Yeah. that we yeah. have. It makes you think of the word commune also. Yeah. Right, to be I able think. to commune with people. So now, like, I feel like it's really easy to like other and dehumanize like mm. people you don't know at all mm-hmm. and it gets a lot 
tougher when like you start engaging with them and you start realizing like oh that's a person with a name and like friends and a family and a job and that lives right next to me like Mm -hmm. I think it makes like it makes people more compassionate Mm. like even if they they wouldn't necessarily be considered so like just like being forced to face or not forced but like facing those acknowledgements that like people are people right like regardless of what you think about like their identities or or if they're holding a prejudice towards you yeah yeah that's just like because that's the hardest part for me to swallow yeah right yeah that's something i've noticed like um i was married to someone for a bit um a stepdad that was like in a cabin with and definitely leaned like more like right-wing republican conservative Mm -hmm. and so he had a lot of ideas that weren't very cool or that i didn't agree with yeah sure and um that one might think would be like hypocritical or something because especially when they were about like in relation to like latino immigrants and stuff like that like being peruvian like yeah. Those matters affect me pretty directly. Yeah. And having opinions and stuff like that. But then also, like, at the same time, like, loving me. Thinking I'm, like, great. Sharing, like, uh, a love of comic books and, like, wanting to hang out and all that. It's just, like, but I am those people you're talking about. Like, I'm not really that different. Right. So it's just, like... But it's easy because they're just, like, this boogeyman group of like faceless yeah names or not names but like I identifiers and stuff uh-huh. whereas like me like the first thing isn't like oh like just like peruvian like immigrant here's a bunch of stereotypes it's like no i'm kenny like yeah you've known me person. for years and like he's not even thinking about those things right even though they exist and they're present like they affect my reality and like uh-huh I've encountered that a lot with a lot of people who hold prejudices. It's not just like a blind, or it's it's not just a like a wide cast like hate like everybody that is these things like. Mm-hmm. Many times they start interacting with them and like just start like ignoring it or like not like. I mean, it's a whole other thing, a whole other conversation, I guess. So, I just want to ask, like, do you feel like it reduces... Like, do you feel like they let go of their prejudice a little bit after they're done interacting with you? Does it change them? I feel like I've noticed that in some people and others, they're not quite at a point where... Like, there's more of a cognitive dissonance Okay. for some people where they just, like, ignore that aspect. They're just like, oh, I guess you're not like the other ones. And, like, that's... Like, are you going to say that about every single person you yeah, meet in this group then? Right, right. And so, like, you've met all of us, <laughs> right. and none of us are like that. Right, right, right. And so, I, I think that there's, there's a bit of a cognitive dissonance, but I don't think, like, hate is not so simple like that. Like, mm-hmm. holding those prejudices, like, oftentimes, like, it's just, like, scared individuals that just, like, don't understand the world and don't have the tools to yeah. try to, and so they lean on stereotypes and stuff so let me ask you if you think so i'm hearing like maybe that like hate comes from fear in some cases so like what other remedies to fear are there 
I think I think community is one of the strongest ones mm-hmm. that I've seen. Okay. Yeah, so it comes like full circle. Yeah. That's that's why like I wanted to meet my neighbors and stuff, like like I think that um if there are ever an issue or anything, like they're not just like all oh, that fucking Peruvian or whatever. Right. Or like hmm. anything like that. Like they're like I didn't like that Kenny did this or that, whatever. It's like maybe I'll say something. Right. And we'll have a discussion. And it won't just turn into like, oh, I don't like that Peruvian. Maybe they're all like that. Like maybe like this other Peruvian did something to me too. So now I don't like them. Yeah, like, I hear you. And like I'm also like queer and trans and so there's a lot of reasons why people can hate me for no for no reason really. But and there's also like a lot of the, like those are like beautiful and unique things about yeah. you too. And yeah. I I think that's that's a big one. Like just like knowing your community members, just like remembering their people and like interacting with them as people, like mm-hmm. can solve a lot of things together. But right. I'm hoping to continue building more and everything that I do, because there's power in that mm-hmm. and like safety in that. Right. Right. It's, right. It's good. Ultimately, it feels good. Like it requires a little bit more of me. Mm. like work and energy and stuff to make connections and check in with my neighbors and yeah. like do all that but ultimately I know like it's worthwhile it's very worthwhile mm-hmm. for everybody involved yeah yeah for sure cool and I think maybe it's like a little easier to get involved in building community if you become sure about who you are yeah so that you don't have to worry about um, this this competing need for separateness versus belonging yeah. Or like to distinctness versus belonging. Um, and yeah, you strike me as a person that like knows quite a bit about yourself and the way you show up in the world. So I really appreciate that. Oh yeah, I definitely have a very inflated sense of self. <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. And before we go, what's your favorite color? My favorite color? Today. Definitely purple. Okay, cool. I never wear anything, so it's not anything necessarily obvious in that kind of way, but it resonates. Okay. Love it. That sounds good. Yeah. All right, there you have it, everybody. (laughs) Kenny, purple, Scorpio. Have a good night. (laughs) Good night. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. And last but not least, we have a song coming up. And the song is written by Samuel Nobles um, on the piano. And when I spoke with him about his music, he told me that I asked him where he thinks music comes from. And he told me that a lot of the music that he writes is kind of like a diary entry, um, capturing the energy of a certain emotion or day or mood. And that he also shares it with the hope of bringing calm and peace and good feelings to the people that listen. So without further ado, I present to you an endless love. <laughs>